0: Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Tuttle podcast. Thanks for joining us this week. We are so glad you're here. Each week on our podcast, you'll hear messages from our pastor, Brother Marty Williams. If you'd like to join us for worship, we meet every Sunday at 1045 a.m. Central in Tuttle, Oklahoma and online at fbctuttle.net. Now let's get started. You know, one of the... um... I don't know, one of the things, I guess, that I've, that I've come to realize, and perhaps it's always been this way. It seems like in Scripture it is, but oftentimes we preachers talk like we've got God all figured out. I mean, that's the way I preach to you, like I've got it all figured out. That's the way many of us act, even. We've got it all we understand, we know God. We understand God. We understand how God works, why God works. Everything's all figured out. <laughs> yeah. That's just, uh, it's not the case, is it? And, and when we think we have God figured out, it's when we, we come to some crisis in our lives, Right? When, when for some reason God doesn't behave in a way that we have, have him figured out to behave. And, and it um, causes us some problems sometimes. Uh, the other side of that coin is some of us think we have God figured out so much that we just are so comfortable we never, we never, we never learn anything new about God. And uh, and I think that's even more dangerous place to be. But but as I as I look in Scripture, I mean that's that's kind of the way mankind has been from the beginning. They thought they knew what God was all about until God had to shake them up and and show them that you know he they just can't you can't put him in a box or a bottle or whatever it is that you think you might want to. Because the reality is God does what God wants. Now, don't mistake that to mean that God acts in unrighteous ways or He does something that's not good or fair or just or right because that's not true. That it was outside the character of God. So those, whatever He deeds, whatever His actions are, they are always good, right, true, just. (laughs) Even though... I might not think so. But it's always been that way. Jesus, Jesus even when he was alive, tried to uh, tried to prepare his disciples for what would be the unknown, the unknown to them. See, we live in a world of unknown, right? We don't know. We don't know what, we don't know what the next minute holds for us. We assume we do, and we live comfortably in that. Oftentimes, but, but honestly, we do not. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's been 50 days, give or take a day or two, since Easter. Which means uh, that, that 50 days after Easter is when they celebrated Pentecost. You guys remember what Pentecost was? That's when, when Jesus, in Acts chapter 1, he told, he told his followers, he said, you guys just Wait. You go to Jerusalem and you wait. You wait for the promise that I'm going to send to you. So they did. They went and they waited. And they prayed. Ten days after he ascended, I guess. They waited and they prayed until on Pentecost, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. And it changed things forever. It changed things forever. Although although people still thought they understood God i want to <coughs> i want to walk us through a little bit of the first uh, 10 chapters of acts this morning and i'm going to i hope you bring your bible i hope you bring your bible to church I'm going to ask you to use your Bible this morning because I'm not camped in any one passage. I am going to camp out for a little while in Acts chapter 10. But, but before I get to Acts chapter 10, I want to, I want to talk a little bit just about... after well, I've just told you you can't know everything there is to know about God or how He acts. I want to talk to you a little bit about what it seems like right? God was doing. And, uh, you know, in, in Acts chapter 1, um, passage that I just said, in Acts chapter 1 verse 4 says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them, he being Jesus, not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. And then we, we get to, to Acts chapter 2, and, and, and the title of Acts chapter 2 in my Bible says, The Coming of the Holy Spirit. And they and they were together in, in one room and they were and they were praying. That's going to be a theme of what I want to talk about this morning. It seems like most everything God did in the book of Acts happened while people were praying. Do you find that coincidental? I hope not. And, and, as, and as I've thought about these things, and, and particularly when I get to chapter 10 and having these ideas about how God works, I just, we need to pray. <laughs> we need to pray. We're going to talk about it more a little bit tonight, but you know, just in the, just in the, uh, in the Sunday school lesson that you had this morning, you know, where God said, Solomon, what what, what do you want from me? God's God speaking into lives in prayer, and and sometimes maybe maybe I wonder why I why I don't hear why I don't know the mind of God why I don't hear the voice of God. Well, can I just submit to you that maybe it's because I'm not praying enough. Now, you know we're we're to live lives of prayer. Constant prayer. Right? So so don't you know there are times to fall on our face before God in earnest prayer, but but prayer more than anything else is like an, an, an open communication dialogue line, right, between me and Almighty God. And I want to live my life so that nothing hinders that communication flow. Does that make sense? Because there are things that hinder it. There's, there's things that hinder the, the flow of the Spirit of God in our lives. That's a sermon for another time, but I shouldn't even went there. Anyway, I, wanna, I, want, to, I want to be a, a man that, uh, that lives with, with my ear to hearing the voice of God. Amen. I want you guys to be a church. That lives to that that same thing. Well with the coming of the Holy Spirit. God God was doing something new. And these men or these people. Men and women. These people that the Holy Spirit came down upon. And filled in Acts chapter 2. I guess 12 plus 120 right if we if we were to 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 look at all that spoke with various tongues proclaiming the proclaiming the greatness of God in languages that they hadn't really learned as witnesses to all of the people that that were in Jerusalem at the time and 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 they were they were Jewish people because you see the Bible says that salvation is of the Jews. Jesus was a Jew. Salvation is of Jesus. Salvation came to the Jew first. The Jews ultimately rejected Christ as a nation, rejected Jesus as, as the Messiah. God in His fullness of wisdom and knowledge and time knows all of these things. And we see a progression in the book of of Acts where where Peter preaches at Pentecost, right? Standing up and and tells them, you guys are the ones that crucified the Messiah. Your Messiah. And 3,000 of them were added to the church that day. And the church... Was a Jesus believing Jewish church. And then we we go on in in Acts and we see the church growing and we see, um, you know, um, the Jewish leaders who were not believers in Jesus coming against, you know, the, the leaders of the church and persecuting them. We. We see we have Stephen who is who is stoned at the by, by people that were reporting to and doing it on the request of Saul who later became Paul. They hated the Jewish church. God didn't intend for the Jewish church to to stay the Jewish church when we when we get over into into Acts chapter uh, seven and eight, over into into and uh, in, over into into uh, into chapter eight, we see Christ preached in Samaria. One of the one of the disciples was a man named Philip. He's called Philip the Evangelist. We see his we see part of what his story is in is in Acts chapter eight. But but Philip. after the the Jewish church was scattered because of the persecution of Saul, Philip goes to Samaria. Now, I don't know if you know anything about the Samaritans, but the people that lived in Samaria, the Samaritans, they were half-breed Jews. They were a mixed nation of people, Gentile and Jewish. And the Jews... Hated them. I mean, I didn't like them at all. Because they weren't pure blood, pure blood born people of God. But you see, the, the people of God was a changing. So so Philip preaches it to Samaria, and, and many believed. Many of these these half-breed Jewish people, these people that the Jews did not like, believed in the gospel. And the the church at Jerusalem, the the real church, the Jesus-believing church, heard about it. It's like, what? Peter, John, go check this out. So they do. And they say the Holy Spirit came upon them just like he did us. So how who are we to say that salvation has come to the Samaritans? And the church, the real church, the Bible, the Jesus believing church said, "Praise God the gospel has come to the samaritans and the church was changing because now the church was not only Jewish the church was Jewish and the church also had samaritans in it those that were part Jewish and part gentile and then we come to and then we come to acts chapter 10 And in Acts chapter 10 begins like this. I'm, gonna, I'm going to read the whole chapter ultimately, but I'm going to stop sometimes in, and uh, talk a little bit. But in Acts chapter 10, it said, Now there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people, and he prayed to God always. You know what? You know what we'd say about Cornelius? He's a good man. That's what we'd say. He could be sitting right out there in that pew, and if he wasn't wearing his... Centurion, Roman army uniform, which by the way would have been quite offensive to good Jewish people. Right? Because you know the people they hated worse than the Samaritans were the Gentiles. And you know who they hated worse than even the Gentiles? The Roman Gentiles. And you know who they hated even worse than the Roman Gentiles? The officers of the Roman army. And yet here was, here was the centurion. The Bible says he was a devout man. It means he was religious. He was a religious man. It says that he gave, he gave alms to the poor. Which means he gave money to meet the needs of, of poor people. That he prayed always. You see, he had... He, he's called a God-fearing man, which is an is a official kind of thing, right? It doesn't just mean I'm scared of God, right? It means that he had given up, he had turned against the pagan gods of the Romans, and he had turned his worship, his focus, to Yahweh, the God of the Jews, and as best as he knew how, he was a worshiper of God. He wouldn't have been allowed into the temple. He wouldn't have been able to offer sacrifices. He was, as a, as a God-fearing Jew, that was right before you became a proselyte Jew. Right? Right? A proselyte would have been a Gentile that would have adopted all of the ways of the Jewish religion, including being circumcised. Right? A God fearer says, Yeah, not gonna go that far. Right? But he was a he was a worshiper of God. He says he was a he was a man of prayer. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed. To God always. But but do you know what he wasn't? He wasn't saved. He wasn't saved. We know that from the rest of the story. He was He was what used to be called, not too many years ago at least, and probably still is, a seeker of God. Somebody that at least had it in their head, there's got to be more to this than what I'm experiencing. If there's a God, He's got to be different than what I've known. And that was Cornelius. The Bible goes on to say that about the ninth hour of the day, which was a time of prayer, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid. Or he was filled with fear. Now, that may not mean much. To us, but I, but I wanted to think about that just for a minute. Number one, every time in Scripture anybody saw an angel of God, they were full of fear. It was not some cool thing, you know, that you hang out with this angel kind of thing, like, like what we hear stories about sometimes today. And this man Cornelius, I mean, he was, he was in charge of a hundred Roman soldiers, He would have been one of the top 60 guys in a regiment of 6,000 that would have occupied Jerusalem. He was a big deal. He was a leader. He would not have been a man that would have been scared of much. But it says that he he was afraid. And he said, what is it, Lord? Now... The word Lord we, on on, on uh, Wednesday nights we're going to begin talking about the names of God, and and obviously one of the names of God is Lord, right? But but Lord in our Bibles has so many different connotations. If you'll notice in this passage of Scripture, when Cornelius says, "What is it, Lord?" it's a small lowercase L O R D, which you know what it means it means Sir. It's a title of respect, right? But it is not a title of Yahweh God. Almighty, powerful God. It is just a title of respect, Lord. Now, I'm I'm not not bashing Cornelius. Cornelius is acting upon the light, upon the knowledge, upon the truth that he possesses right now. Right? Right? I mean, I give him credit for that. He sees God in stuff. He wants a relationship with what he believes to be the one true God. So he says, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. You know, there's some debate that I've heard or been a part of that says, you know, the prayers of lost people don't get answered by God. I'm not God, right? This is one of those things that we act like we know what God's all about, right? When we say, yeah, God doesn't hear the prayers of lost people. Well, I don't think we ought to be saying that. I'm not God. I'm not sure what all God pays attention to and listens to. He probably hears all the prayers of everybody in the whole world all the time, regardless of what they are. Right And how many of them he acts on, that's, that's between him and God. But clearly, this angel tells Cornelius, God has heard your prayers and the alms that you give are as a sacrifice to him. It's like the angel saying, you know, well done, Cornelius. You're not a child of God yet but well done he says god has heard your prayers and your alms have come up as a memorial before him we're going to see in a little while <coughs> i'm so sorry we're going to see in a little while what the prayers what the prayers that that he was praying were his prayer we're going to learn is Show me how to be saved. <laughs> I believe in this God. I understand this God. And what I know is, I'm going to worship Him. I'm going to give alms to Him. I'm going to pray to Him. But I I want it. I want to know. I want to know. And you know, The promises of God are to come to every heart that manifests that attitude. I want to know. There's more. I'm doing what I know, but I know there's more. Please, God, show me what it is. He obviously hadn't experienced it at the temple. He, he was in Caesarea. I don't know, don't know, I haven't done enough study to know a whole lot about Caesarea and what was going on. My guess is first church at Caesarea, Cornelius was part of the leadership of it. So the, so the angel says, Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. And he will tell you what you must do. So you see, you see that the, the angel had answered his prayer and saying, We're gonna, I'm going to show you, God's going to show you what you must do. Praise God. Why? Joppa, Caesarea to Joppa is about 30 miles or so. Two days journey, one way. Remember I told you the story about Philip and the Samaritans? You know where Philip was at this time? He was in Caesarea. He was right there at the same place. Why didn't God say, hey, I just happened to have one of the greatest evangelists right here in New York city, Philip. But he said, no, he said, go, go to Joppa, go send for Peter. He's two days away, and he will tell you what you need to know. Why Peter? Why Peter? You remember remember the story in Scripture? I think it's in Matthew chapter 17 where, where Jesus asked them, Who do men say that I am? And Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus told Peter, Flesh and blood has not taught you this. But my father, which is from heaven, he says, I give you the keys to the kingdom. I never really understood too much about what that meant. That's always been a little confusing to me. Gave the keys of the kingdom to Peter. But if you look at, at how God moves in the life of the church, starting with the Jerusalem church, the Jewish church, who was the leader of that? Peter. Peter. When the Samaritans got saved, who did they call to come verify? Who was there when the Holy Spirit came on the Samaritans? Peter. Who was necessary to be there when the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit? Peter. Because he was the one guy. He was the one human being that could say, guys, this Is real. Peter wouldn't have had to have been there for the Gentiles to be saved. You know why he had to be there? He had to be there for the church to be united. God was building his church. And it was made up of everybody. All peoples and tribes and nations. We're going to have Jews in it. We're going to have Samaritans in it. We're going to have Gentiles in it. We're going to have Roman soldiers in it. So Peter was that guy. He had the keys to the kingdom. He had the keys to the kingdom. So he said, call Peter. Call Peter. Your prayers have been answered. Call Peter. He's, how, he's, he's staying over in Joppa at Simon the Tanner's house. Do you realize what a big deal that would have been for Peter? To stay at the house of a guy who made a living tanning skins of dead animals. Good Jewish people, they didn't do that. But you see, God was already working in Peter's life. He was already working in Peter's life, expanding Peter's vision of what God had in mind for the church. He was there when the Samaritans got the Holy Spirit. Now he's at a a tanner's house. And and the angel says, "Send send for Peter. He'll tell you what you must do. As Peter's retelling the story, I'm not going to get there, but as Peter's retelling the story to the church leaders in chapter 11, chapter 11, the church leaders, right, in Jerusalem, they call Peter on the carpet. Hey, what's this deal we hear about you eating with Gentiles? Right? So Peter's retelling the story to them, right? And he recalled that that group from Cornelius' house that came to him told him, he will tell you, He sent us and told us, go see Simon Peter. He will tell you the words by which you and your household will be saved. There was more. God was preparing a way. He was also preparing Peter. He was also preparing Peter. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, verse 7 says... Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, another religious soldier. And when he explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. <coughs> Verse 9 says The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, drew near the, drew near the city of Joppa. Do you see the timing and the providence of God? Peter, Peter, it says, was up on his housetop. Went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Again, amazing. He's praying when God reveals himself. Right? And then he came very hungry and he wanted to eat. And while they were made ready, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. And in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, Birds of the air and a voice to him said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, no, Lord. By the way, that's an oxymoron. Peter didn't use the word sir. That Lord's capitalized in your Bible. It means master. First thing is, we don't tell the master no. No. But Peter did. Why? Why did Peter tell the master no? Well, he was a good Jewish man. He had obeyed the dietary laws set out in the book of Leviticus thousands of years before all of his life. And, and, when, and when that sheet was lowered that had creeping things and all kinds of animals and it said rise, kill, and eat, he, it's, it's beyond his comprehension that that could actually be coming from God. That was not the God that he had known. But God's church was changing. You know why? You know why the dietary laws ever existed to begin with? It wasn't because God created some animals clean and some animals unclean. God didn't, I mean, here, God's saying there's no such thing as unclean. Right? Rise, kill, and eat, Peter. Peter, he didn't make the connection yet. But we read in Leviticus chapter 20, right? It says, you therefore, this is God speaking, you shall therefore distinguish between clean animals and unclean animals, between unclean birds and clean birds, you shall not make yourselves abominable by beast or by bird or by any kind of living thing that creeps on the ground which I have separated from you as unclean and you shall be holy to me for I the Lord am holy and then here, this and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. See the dietary laws were not about food. They were about separating the people of God from everybody else. God had a people that were about, that were his people. And they were not like everybody else. They were different. And the way that they were different was going to be, one of the ways that they were different was going to be by the things that they ate. And he says you're separate from the people so you don't share meals with these people. You're different. Now jump to Acts. Makes perfect sense. God says, all people are mine. Jewish people are mine. Half-breed people are mine. The Samaritans are mine. The Gentiles are mine. So he says, Peter, don't call unclean what I call clean. He did that through demonstrating to Peter about the dietary stuff. Peter didn't get it. He still didn't make the connection, right? So he sees this vision. And then, then, you know, God, it said a voice spoke to him a second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven. And then verse 17 says, "Well, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, Behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and they asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, go down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. You see the timing and the providence of God? I mean, in... Thirty miles away, he's he's giving Cornelius a vision, while at the same time, two days later, Peter, you know, Cornelius has has obeyed the truth that he had and the God that he worshipped, and he sent these men. I can't imagine what the response would have been at Simon the Tanner's house where Peter. The prophet, the Peter the Apostle, was staying. If uh, two Gentiles and a Roman guard had showed up at the door, probably wouldn't answer the door. But God was preparing Peter, too. He said, They're here. Go downstairs right now, open the door, and let them in. Go with them. Happened while he was praying. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Go do this. You know, think about that. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, I don't know what you guys, I don't know how you, I don't know how you meditate on the Word of God. But can I just tell you that meditation on the Word of God is a life-changing thing? It's one thing to to read a passage of Scripture or to read a devotion about a passage of Scripture. But it is an awesome thing to hear God speak as you are continually dwelling on what God has said. I can't, I can, it's almost embarrassing for me to tell you how much of the time that I spend preparing to preach just looks like doing nothing. I mean, it's reading and it's praying, but you know what? It's it's it's. I spend more time just thinking about what it is that God is trying to tell me than I do any other thing. Amen. Amen. It feels weird to me. <laughs> <coughs> now I'm I'm serious. If and if you if you've not experienced that, you ought to. Because it is an unbelievably uplifting thing to be able to praise God for the truth that He has taught you. And it's done by the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's the exact same thing as what we're talking about here. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, go. Peter went down to the men who had been sent from him, Cornelius, and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? God didn't tell him why. He just said, They're here. Go with them. I've sent them. Peter says, Okay. Why are you here? And they said, Cornelius the centurion. Adjustment. This is the third time. We see this three times in Scripture, this whole thing about Cornelius. And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. We know that that's words by which you will be saved. And then it says, and he invited them in and he lodged them. Another unbelievable thing for a Jew to do to a group of Gentiles. But you see, the church was changing. Peter was changing. The next day, Peter went away with them. It says, And some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Now, we're going we're to learn that these men from Joppa that accompanied him, were all. they were good Jewish men. Part of the Jewish Jesus-believing church. Because you see, God knew. I was going to say Peter, but I don't know if Peter knew or not. God knew. That for the Gentiles to be included into the church was going to need some testimony of some good Jewish men that had experienced what was going to happen. So, so, so Peter gets, gets these six men. We don't know that it's six right now, but it is. We have to get to Paul's, I mean, Peter's explanation here, and I'm not going to get there good grief, I should be done right now (coughs) and the following day they entered Caesarea now Cornelius was waiting for them and he had called together his relatives and close friends and as Peter was coming in Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him that's all he knew he was praying to God God said go get Peter What's Cornelius think? Peter's the man. He bows down to worship him, and Peter stands him up and says, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and he found many who had come together. And he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go to one of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. And I asked then, for what reason have you sent me? So Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. and He said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send a Joppa and call Simon here, whose name is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. And when he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately. You have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all here to hear the things commanded you by God. We want to know. And Peter opened his mouth. And Peter preached to them. He says, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. There was no pretense on the part of Peter now. He knew that the church of God was changing. There's no partiality. In every nation who fears Him and works righteousness is accepted by Him. The word of which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. That word, you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Kind of just gave a three-verse synopsis of the life of Jesus. Verse 39 says, and we are witnesses of all the things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging him on a tree. But him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all people, but to witnesses chosen by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead the simplest gospel message preached and it was and it was preached that Jesus the Messiah who was hung on a tree and raised from the dead 3 days later was the judge we don't hear that often these days that was peter's message to Cornelius he is judge and whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins and I can't help but think Cornelius saying that's what I've been looking for that's the difference maker they won't let me offer sacrifices I've been praying I've been fasting I've been worshiping this God. Now I know. The Bible says that while Peter was still speaking, (laughs) the Holy Spirit came. Peter says, Who in the world could say that these folks shouldn't be baptized? So let's baptize. So they did. They sought God. They heard the word of God. They responded to the word of God. The spirit of God filled them. They got baptized. That's kind of the Baptist order of things, you know, when we get God all figured out. Do you know what? There are are still seekers today. You know, we we didn't look at it But God works in the lives of people so many different ways. You know, to the Ethiopian eunuch that I just completely forgot about and bypassed, right, he was a worshiper of God that was a Gentile that Philip witnessed to and led to Christ. He was reading the Bible. He didn't understand it, right? But Philip explained it to him and he trusted in Christ and was baptized. He was a seeker. Something in it, God had put something in his heart that there's something about this Jehovah, the one true God. And the Lord provided a way for him to know and to believe. The apostle Paul, who was Saul, just the next chapter in Acts, thought he knew God. And God blinded him with a light on the road to Damascus just come out of nowhere. Boom! and saved Saul. There was no seeking. In fact, it was an absolute U-turn. Amen. Cornelius, a seeker of God, God provided a way through Peter that he might come to the knowledge of the Savior and be saved. I believe there are still seekers today. I think I think somebody could be in this room that has just said, you know what? I I don't know. There's got to be something more. I tell you, that that more is Jesus. There may be somebody in this room that says, you know what? I've been reading the Bible. I've been worshiping. I've been praying. Got to be more. That's something more. It's Jesus. The Bible says that that good news of salvation is available to all who will believe. We offer that invitation today. Whether you're a seeker, whether you're one that has never You've done, you've done what you know to do, but you just sense that it's not been enough. It's Jesus. Hey friends, before you go, if you have a prayer request, we invite you to send us an email at prayforyou at att.net. That's P-R-A-Y, the number four, Y-O-U at att.net. Or call the church office at 405-381-2492. If you'd like to learn more about our children's, youth, men's, women's, or senior adult ministries, visit our website at fbctettle.net. Thanks again for joining us today. We love you, and we hope you have a blessed week.